Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast, where we really like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you so much for asking. So I want to tell our listeners that this is probably the third or fourth time that we've started this episode, and we don't usually do that, but we want to talk about an important topic. Not that our other topics weren't important, but we are including more details, did more research than usual for this one, and so we're a little anxious about getting it just right, but I think the truth is that we're going to do our best, and we are open to having people add other information that we might have missed, and I think... That way we can get this episode done. <laughs> it's, it would be just great. There's only so many times I can introduce the podcast in one day. So on a, on a very serious note, this week it's been one year since a man killed 49 people and injured more than 50 people at Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando on Latin night. What we wanted to do today was a tribute to all the victims and their families and focus this episode on the connections between LGBTQ plus discrimination and mental health. And we also want to talk about the outstanding Love is Love tribute comic anthology that was released by IDW in collaboration with DC Comics. And that comic book anthology was meant to benefit the survivors of the Orlando Pulse shooting. And they just got an outstanding group of writers and artists to make contributions. And it was really inspiring to me to see so many people from the comic community come together and put this together. Can I add one extra thing about oh, the Love course. is Love? Uh, one thing that was really cool about it, you got a copy before I did, and you actually ended up getting me my copy for me, which I thank you again for. You're welcome. Uh, and one of the reasons I missed out on getting a copy was because, from what I understand from just reading and also talking with Rich, uh, the owner over at Paradox Comics and Cards, is that the copies were quite literally almost flying off the shelves. I got the last copy. I was um, in Florida at the time, actually, and I mm-hmm. they told me that it was the last copy that I got. I think this had to go like into like a fourth reprint, uh, if I remember right, and maybe more. I, I, I don't know if I followed through with that all the way throughout, but and I just think there's something very special about that, that not only was it the comic creators who came together, but also the comic reading community, and I'm sure others. I'm sure there was a lot of people who maybe don't traditionally or always buy comics or graphics who picked this up because mm-hmm. it is such a spectacular piece uh, for a good cause. And, and I just think there's something very special about seeing art used in a way uh, just to benefit and, and educate and do something so positive. I completely agree. It just shows a variety of depictions of different emotions, elements, and takes of how people responded to this horribly tragic event. And as you mentioned, there's an introduction by Patty Jenkins, director of Wonder Woman movie, and... So we can't recommend it enough. It's only $10, and it is full of so many stories, and it's it's just excellent. It's a great way to support a good cause, so go to your local comic shop, or if not, they do have it available on Amazon. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's unbelievable. Each, just to give folks maybe mm-hmm. a little reference if they don't have it, each story is one to two pages long. I think two pages at the most was what anyone was allowed to do. And it, the pages aren't numbered because it's all separate stories, but it's very lengthy. Uh, and it's just so many well-known, 
uh, authors and artists and uh, individuals from not even outside of comics. There's like Patton Oswalt is in here. So mm-hmm. it's just such a great group of folks who really came together to do something special. It's very good. And we were actually going to talk about some of our favorite parts of it. And really, it's hard to pick because yeah. there are so many. But at the end, but maybe we should just mention that now that we've kind of talked yeah. into the comic, if that's okay. And then we'll shift over a little bit more into what the American Psychological Association has to say about priorities and some of the history between LGBTQ plus discrimination and the link to mental health. That sounds really good. So like Katie said, uh, we both had a hard time, I think, limiting ourselves, and Mm -hmm. and we didn't want this podcast to turn into us just reading uh, or describing the art. So we both picked three of our favorites, and I don't want to make it... I have more than three favorites. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time. Katie witnessed me having a hard time picking my top three. Uh, So the whole thing is exceptional. So just to, to give you a brief snapshot of some of the amazing content that's in here. We'll both maybe just describe our favorite three. Should we just go take turns one at a time? That sounds good. Okay, uh, I'll start us off. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the ones that I really loved, and it's sort of hard to describe comics uh, sonically or verbally. I guess those are kind of synonymous in some ways, but I'll just do my best. So this one sort of starts off with two kids playing in the street, and uh, on one side... uh, there's a dad who says, hey, Grandpa's here, come on, Sam. And on the other side, it looks like the mother presumably saying, oh, come on, it's time for dinner time. And the two boys actually both go to their separate homes. And then it's kind of cool because the page splits in half and it kind of shows uh, the, the pathways of the two boys after they were done playing together in the street. And on the one side, uh, they're both seeing the news reports of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. And on one side, the parents are saying it, and I'm just going to read it right as it's written. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think it's the father and the grandfather who are also watching the news. Uh, one of them says, oh, about time. And then on the other side, we see a totally different picture, which is some the little boy saying, hey, uh, why are those guys kissing? And presumably his father or guardian or whomever says because uh, they're sad and they love each other. And then the son says, oh, like you and mom? And then uh, the dad says, yes, son, just like me and mom. And it's just, it was interesting to just see the sort of dichotomy, how the children could be impacted by the messages they receive at home. Yeah, I think that that is a great example of something that will link to mental health later and about how familial acceptance impacts mental health. And so the young child and either, we don't know, maybe they will identify as mm-hmm. LGBTQ. Um, maybe they won't, but either way, there's probably some influence by what they're experiencing. And if they are hearing that, then they're going to be less likely probably to feel comfortable talking to their family about their feelings. And so I think that is a nice illustration of different ways to handle the same situation. Yeah. I hope I didn't go into too much detail, oh, but no. I think it's important to sort of describe oh, it yeah, in definitely. that level of detail. And you summed it up perfectly. Just to, the, I think the the writer and the, and and the artist uh, captured something really important uh, mm-hmm. and depicted it. I mean, just to to have this powerful of a message in a one page thing is just incredible to me. Yeah. So. No, I I agree. Um, my first one that I picked is actually. It's just kind of fun. So there are some that'll break your heart. I teared up multiple times Me reading too. this, but this I thought was very sweet. This is by Paul Dini. And it's about Harley and Ivy in Love is Love, it's called. And so they have a very brief thing where they show love is supporting her choices. And so they show Poison Ivy giving a thumbs up to Harley Quinn's outfit. 
Um, Love is learning her favorite song, and so Harley is singing song you're gonna need an ocean of calamine lotion, very appropriate for poison ivy, a letter each day, and so you see um, them exchanging letters, going vegan just for her. Harley Quinn is giving a broccoli (laughs) vegan (laughs) pizza to some dogs who also don't like the vegan pizza. And during weekly Stooges marathon, so watching TV together, surprising her with flowers. And love is always dancing, come what may. And of course, that's very special because this tragedy occurred at a nightclub where many people um, report that that's kind of a social space where they feel safe to fully be themselves when they're in a group that is marginalized and in a minority group. And so I just thought this was a great capture of how many things that are common across being in love with someone and being in a relationship and the conclusion of them dancing was very fun and touching. And so I like that Paul Dini wrote this and of course you can see his affection for Harley Quinn in it. I like that you chose that one too because it's. I think it also illustrates another uh, thing that I think is really important about this is that it's it's really an emotional roller coaster. That's mm-hmm. one of the lighthearted ones. That's mm-hmm. sort of actually funny. There's a, a, mm-hmm. a few of the comics are actually quite funny. Uh, so this this is a graphic novel that'll really move you all across the emotional spectrum. Oh, totally. All right, I'll describe my second one, and I might go a little bit quicker on this one because it's a two-page one, and I don't want to take up the whole time. But uh, maybe unsurprisingly, one of the ones that I most related to or uh, was most uh, tangible in my memory was one of the... There's a handful that involved Batman in it, and this is one that actually depicts the um, nightclub uh, post-shooting and and just... The, it's it's heartbreaking even just to see the art. There are just individuals lying all over, um, and Batman is sort of in the scene and and he's investigating and uh, he talks about how tombs should be quiet, but this one is filled with the uh, plaintive bleat of cell phones and and I remember reading and hearing about that. And it's just so tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but Batman's going through and and talking about he's kind of doing. They depict him sort of doing his uh, usual detective. He's kind of casing the the place and. Uh, and uh, on, he describes how his only, the shooter, his only target was love, not love as between two people, but love in its purest form, love as the soul of all things good. And he says, why would anyone target such a thing? And uh, it goes on, in Batman's conclusion as he's doing this, he just says there are no answers. Mm-hmm. And then it shows the police officers outside, and he, he, they're uh, talking about how Batman's in there working on the scene, and... Uh, say that he's the world's greatest detective and that if he can't find any answers, no one can. I just thought that was really touching. Yeah, that was definitely one of my favorites. And when I gave you the book, I didn't want to point out a bunch that I thought were good, but I definitely thought of you when I read that one because I think the way they use Batman in it is perfect. Yeah. So one of the ones that I chose, it... It's by, the words are by Teddy Tenenbaum, the art is by Mike Huddleston, and there is a kid walking with his father and asks, Daddy, why are those men kissing each other like you and Mommy? And the dad says, because they love each other. And the kid said, is it a different kind of love? Yes, no, yes, is what the dad says. How? Well, their love scares some people. And the kid says, and they still love each other, even though all those people hate them? And the dad says, yes. So the child says, so their love is different and has to be to fight so much hate and evil. It's super love. And dad says, yeah, super love. And 
I thought that was great because I think even though we're going to talk about today some of the negative effects of discrimination on individuals who are in the LGBTQ community, which is important, this speaks to the extraordinary resilience, in especially depending in different societies and different times. And it shows kind of the bravery and strength and still being with the people that they love, even in the face of that kind of hate. And so I like that because I think it credits this strength in that, and it's nice to see that highlighted. It's really cool, too, because uh, in the very last frame mm-hmm. there is the the child and their parent are looking on. All of the people who they're sort of looking at all have capes on. Yes. And I thought that was really special. No, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's I like because then they're really blending the – the superhero image as part of what yeah. they're doing. So I agree. I think that's really neat. And the artwork is different, but I love the colors of it. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. It's sort of mm-hmm. like, I'm not a, a, a very well-versed an artist, but it reminds me, it's very vibrant, I guess, is mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. And there are examples of individuals who reject individuals who are in love with same-sex partners that that part of the comic is in black and white and the rest is colorful, which I think yeah, is really powerful. That is. Good. Thank you for pointing that out. That's another powerful piece, too. So, uh, the last one that I did is a, is a, it doesn't have a lot of uh, dialogue to it, but it is a Jim Lee art, and Jim Lee is one of my favorite artists, of course. So I, of course, I had to pick it. Uh, it's a very simple yet elegant um, piece of art that depicts actually Albus Dumbledore staying along with. Uh, Harry Potter and Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley, they're all holding their wands straight up in sort of a, a pose with, uh, it, it looks to be like maybe magical in nature, but kind of like uh, a pride flag coming out that they're maybe creating in magic. I'm not 100% sure. But it has a quote on it that reads, differences of habit and language are nothing at all if our aims are identical and our hearts are open, which is um, a Dumbledore quote from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And uh, I'm currently rereading the series for, I don't know, the umpteenth time probably. <laughs> and I was reflecting recently on what an incredible character I really think Elvis Dumbledore is and that he really, I, he's my favorite character of the series by far because he really embodies um, just acceptance and, uh, and I think he's just a great character. And this really captured that for me. I was surprised to see him because I don't typically associate Harry Potter, that universe, with comics too much. So it was a pleasant surprise when I came across that one. I agree. And how powerful to include such an iconic kind of group of people that means so much to so many people in this. I thought that was really neat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, one other one that I have is by is written and illustrated by Liam Sharp, who is one of my favorite artists drew for recently for DC Rebirth Wonder Woman and I don't know that he's specifically referencing this but there it was kind of a big deal when Greg Rucka who wrote for DC Rebirth Wonder Woman is still writing although his run is coming to a conclusion um, he he said that he that Diana you know Wonder Woman is queer and the reason that's part of the story is because it would take something away, according to Greg Rucka, it would take something away from the story if she was leaving an island to be with Steve Trevor because 
she couldn't ever, she hadn't had any relationships with anyone on Themyscira, and that this way, it first of all, it's more realistic to how she's been depicted in the past, and also the fact that she is on, on an island of all women, it's much more realistic that she would have romantic involvement, vers- and didn't want to make the story about now she's fallen in love with this man, and that's why she's leaving, and that's, it's not really that, it's it's more than that, and she, you know, de- the depictions vary so much, and some of them, including the movie, she's very much in love with Steve Trevor, but it's still clear that she's going to end the war, mm-hmm. and that's part of it. But when she talked about that, it's also kind of a big deal because you had a lot of comic fans saying, wow, Wonder Woman, the superhero we really look up to, I can identify with her. It's a big deal to have someone who is I- identifying as bisexual or queer that's such a iconic hero. And so this is just a one-page comic, and um, I really like it. She, There's Wonder Woman standing there, and it says, And still you have to ask, when the flames have all died down and the wars have all ended, you seek new excuses, new excuses to hate, to build walls, manufacture divisions, and you ask me, are you? On an island with only women, surely you must be and you ask only so you may judge, because judge is what you like to do. And when you have judged, what then? What will you do? And tell me, do you know what it is to die for love? So brief but very powerful, you know, kind of what is it, what kind of information are you going to get from from whether you know Di- if Diana is bisexual or if she identifies as heterosexual or whatever it is. And, and the... Words are great, but if you see it with the picture, it's even better, I promise. Yeah, I think uh, after f- I reread it uh, uh, today just to pre- mm-hmm. prepare myself again for uh, talking about it. And, of course, art is subjective, but I think that's my favorite piece of art from the entire mm-hmm. graphic novel. Uh, I thought it was really exceptional. Yeah, Liam Sharp is amazing, but I won't go off into a full tangent <laughs> about he, him. He deserves his own episode. He's, he's just <laughs> fantastic. Um, so... That, those are our favorites from the comic. If you listen to nothing else, please uh, check this out. It's really cool. And tweet us with your favorite stories from it. We'd yeah. love to talk more about it. Um, at this point, we'll shift more into some of the mental health aspects and some of the unique challenges that are linked to discrimination. And we do have international listeners. We're very grateful. As we go through this, this is mostly focused on the American Psychological Association because it's what we're most familiar Mm -hmm. with. It's very important to look at the context depending on even within different regions Mm -hmm. within the country that you're in. So we're going to speak mostly to what we know about, but we don't mean to exclude anyone from that. It's just the circumstances are very different depending on where you are. And so maybe we'll start off with just some very simple definitions and we're going to link to all this because our goal is to kind of give a brief overview and link to the people who have gone into more detail and so I'll, I'll briefly say from APA the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity because when we talk about the role of mental health in each will sometimes be referring specifically to one or another. And the basic difference is that sexual orientation refers to the gender of those to whom one is sexually and romantically attracted to, generally. There is research to suggest that this tends to be on a continuum rather than definable categories, but some categories that people use are um, gay or lesbian if the individual 
tends to be attracted to members of one's own gender or if they tend to be attracted to members of both genders, bisexual, or if they're attracted to members of the other sex. Well, and that even puts it into a binary, but if um, then that's considered heterosexual. So that's a very brief overview and it's overly simplistic, but the idea of sexual orientation is focusing on who people tend to be sexually and romantically attracted to, and that's in contrast to gender identity, which refers to one's sense of oneself as a boy, girl, man, or woman, or something else. Um, the something else means if they don't identify as feeling within the binary, they might identify as gender queer, for example. And by binary, I mean man versus mm -hmm. woman, stuff like that. So um, when one's gender identity and biological sex, which is typically assigned at birth based on outward reproductive organs or genitalia, when their gender identity and their biological sex that's assigned at birth are not congruent, individuals may identify along the transgender spectrum. So that's a real fast overview. Did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. No, I thought that was really good. And, and those are two really, I think, keystone and foundational pieces of information to sort of set the stage to any conversation about the LGBTQ plus community. That's right. And I think that, you know, one other term, which I've already used, and I actually feel a little weird using the term. I was quote, quoting Greg Rucka saying that Wonder Woman identifies as queer. But the reason that I feel a little odd saying that is because I do feel like that term, well, I don't feel like it has historically mm -hmm. been used as a pejorative, yeah. but there in more recent times, it, the term queer has been used as an umbrella term where individuals might use to describe sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression that doesn't conform within dominant societal norms. I'm quoting from Rivers 2010, which we'll link to. Um, more recently, it's been embraced by many, not all, as a, in a more neutral or positive manner, and some youth adopt queer as an identity term to avoid limiting themselves to gender binaries of man, woman, or male, female, and or perceived restrictions imposed by lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or uh, sexual orientations categories. And so that the LGBTQ plus, that's kind of the history and it's been used more broadly, but obviously some people still don't like that term because of the history. And, mm -hmm. and it shows how much words change over time. Mm -hmm. These words will evolve and get more precise or change over time. You know, queer didn't have anything to do with this uh, before it was used as a derogatory term. And so it's just important to kind of stay with the context and as a default, try to listen to the people within the group as to what their preferences are. I'm happy you pointed that out. I was mm -hmm. going to say the same mm -hmm. thing is it's important that you don't take it upon yourself to try to identify or not identify, mm -hmm. but subs subscribe these terms to anyone and make sure that when you're interacting with someone, you just listen to the terms that they use to describe themselves or others and you just use that term. Exactly. So we're kind of describing it as an informational educational yeah. perspective from what you may have heard. But personally, in my everyday language, unless someone says to me specifically is using the term queer to describe themselves, I personally wouldn't use that term because of the history. Same here. Uh, maybe just really quickly, mm -hmm. I'll walk through the LGBTQ plus and describe that's what the plus idea. is, if that's okay. So, because I think the plus is maybe a part that not everyone is is familiar with. I might be wrong on oh, that, I but think just you're to right. make sure. So, L is lesbian. G is gay. B is bisexual. T is transgender. 
Q is queer, like Katie just described the term, and the plus uh, is kind of a, a catch-all for anyone who maybe doesn't fit within the categories of the LGBT. Q, uh, so this might be individuals who uh, maybe uh, identify as asexual or uh, might identify as intersex or something like that who just don't uh, feel like they fit in those categories just to make sure everyone is included in the acronym. Yeah, so in general, the overall umbrella term are people who either by virtue of their sexual orientation or their gender identity identify as not being part of the majority in that, and that's one common thread throughout these categories here. Yeah, so I think that that's probably all of the information that we'll cover. Mm -hmm. Certainly not a comprehensive outlining of the uh, language and terms, but certainly enough to get the conversation started. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll link to other mm -hmm. resources so that you can hear in more details about those things. And I should mention, we did try to have a guest on who has particular expertise in this. Unfortunately, she's very busy and we weren't able to get her on, but as mental health professionals and clinical psychologists, we are obliged through our ethics to be to understand these terms, understand the role of discrimination, and understand how to reduce it. Mm -hmm. And so it even if it's not within a particular area of expertise, like a main focus of research or clinical work, we all are expected to a certain level to be competent and understand this so that we can provide services to people who need them and also impact larger factors, societal factors that might increase discrimination against this group. And part of the reason for that is because of some of the history of how mental health fields and medical fields have contributed to pathologizing sexual minority or um, gender identity minority groups in the past. I didn't say that exactly in the right way I meant to, but um, basically what I'm trying to say is, for example, homosexuality was in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders as a mental disorder. And that in and of itself is suggesting that someone has a pathological problem because they have same-sex attraction. And that's part of the history. One of my favorite podcast episodes that covers how homosexuality was removed from the DSM in 1973, I believe, in DSM-3R version, highlights that some of it was research, again, we'll link to this, including research showing that mental health problems weren't particularly linked to sexual orientation they and that um so they, they did stuff like evelyn hooker is one of the scientists who did this but they would do things like administer psychological tests and exams to people who have same-sex attraction attraction and those who don't and then they would give them to experts and say can you tell who is gay and who is not. And they figured that if it's a mental disorder, then mental health professionals should be able to say, oh yes, I can tell from this personality inventory or from this projective test that this person is here and this person is there. They found they were indistinguishable, which suggests that there is that takes away that length of pathology just because someone is in a statistical minority or in a marginalized group. So some of it was the research, and there's more research beyond that too. Kinsey famously did some research collecting information and getting a better understanding of actual sexual behavior and sexual attraction. But another part of it is that there were activists, um, including within the American Psychiatric Association, who were saying that psychiatrists themselves who 
weren't out about their sexual orientation and how it was affecting their mental health, that it was considered a mental disorder. And their actions really contributed and led to it being removed. And so, again, I'll, we'll link to This American Life, Ira Glass. It's one of the older episodes, but it talks about how homosexuality was removed from the DSM, and it really gives an in-depth history. But I thought I'd briefly mention it here because that is part of why now um, the American Psychological Association has said we need to make efforts to basically um, make things right mm -hmm. based on what how the history of, of our field may have contributed to some of the problems. Yeah, absolutely. Just having mm -hmm. that historical, being complicit in sort of the that role or having that role historically just as a field the APA said you know what we need to take it on this needs to be a priority for our field to make sure that we're doing what we can to make sure we are educating ourselves so we can effectively treat individuals from the LGBTQ plus community and we're doing what we can at least to some level to reduce the stigma even if you're not like you said involved in that specific research or area of clinical work yeah, yeah exactly right and something else that is discussed in that This American Life episode is reparative therapy, mm. which unfortunately some people still practice. A reparative therapy will link to a re review on this. The American Psychological Association did a complete review to look at the quote-unquote effectiveness of reparative therapy, which the goal of that is typically to change sexual orientation from someone who identifies as gay to change their to attempt to change their orientation to someone who identifies as heterosexual, or they think they're actually changing the orientation. And what the research, and sometimes it's used to change gender identity too, it can be a, a broader term. But um, what the research shows is overall, it, it doesn't tend to actually change sexual orientation or gender identity. Secondly, it does tend to cause harm. Understandably, it tends to lead to increased distress because the whole goal of it is walking away from acceptance and people can additionally feel hopeless or frustrated if someone's trying to change something and they're unable to change it and they reject that part of themselves. And so there are the multiple major organizations, health organizations that ban reparative therapy, although some places still practice it. The American Psychological Association does ban its use. And there are individual states who have enforced bans for youth to be part of reparative therapy to protect them in case parents or caregivers bring them in for that treatment. Another thing I want to say a little mm -hmm. bit about that, too, is another podcast that I think we've talked about on this show before is Sawbones, which mm -hmm. is a, a medical history podcast by Justin McElroy, uh, brother, one of the McElroy brothers of My Brother, My Brother and Me, or The Adventure Zone fame, and his uh, wife, uh, Dr. Sidney Sproul McElroy, who is a physician. And uh, they're, they're doing a multi-part episode uh, that they titled Conversion Therapy, uh, that I've only gotten to hear uh, the, about the first half of the first part that they have released so far. So I, I haven't gotten to hear all of it yet, but I can speak to say that what I have heard so far has been really interesting and really informative. And they sort of, they wanted to do this for the same reason that we're doing this episode to, uh, you know, in honor of Pride Month. And Sydney said, very similar to clinical psychology, the medical field has its own uh, errors of the way of mm -hmm. the past. And she describes it and, and says, 
you know, as a physician and as a field, the medical field needed to take ownership of that, like psychology, and do things to make that right today. So based on what I heard so far, it, it, like all of their episodes, I think you can attest to this too, it's mm-hmm. uh, Sydney, or Dr. Sydney McElroy, uh, very well uh, researched. She really looks into things and makes sure she's presenting accurate and compassionate information and, and something that they're both very passionate about as well. So that, that I, I would recommend great. that. Yeah, as an additional source of information. Yeah, I'll definitely be listening to that. I think that that sounds fantastic. And um, it's nice to see kind of uh, parallel things happening when Mm -hmm. the fields work together. So I think that's great. Um, Gender identity disorder is a disorder I'm kind of jumping to yeah. uh, the other gender identity, which is the other thing we talked about. In dsm 4 it was called gender identity disorder, and this is when an individual was uh, basically felt that their gender identity, as we described before, was a mismatch between their sex that was assigned at birth. And it might be that they were assigned at birth, that they were male, and they feel that they're a woman, or might feel they that they fall outside the binary. It could be different things, but in DSM-5, they changed that diagnosis to gender dysphoria. And part of the reason for that is because they wanted to emphasize that the gender identity issue itself. They wanted to take the stance that that wasn't a mental disorder because that was being used to discriminate against people who are transgender by saying it's a mental disorder that needs to be fixed or we shouldn't um, do things that are accommodating like have bathroom guidelines that allow people to use the bathrooms that are consistent with their gender identity. They were trying to um, kind of take that and and use it as a discriminatory measure. So one thing the DSM-5 did is be much more uh, emphatic on the distress part and change it to gender dysphoria. And this way it says it's not just that there's um, a, a gender identity mismatch with how other people are perceiving their biological sex, for example, I'm somewhat oversimplifying, but instead it's saying that the, the person is having distress related to that. And it could be a lot of distress. It could be distress towards their body, towards themselves, those types of things. And for that, we want to recognize it and provide appropriate services. But it doesn't automatically, if anyone has um, gender identity that is different than their perceived biological sex, say that they have a mental disorder. I feel like I was kind of clunkily saying that, but did I miss anything? No, maybe I'll say it one more time, if that's okay. (laughs) Just to make sure that we are, because it's it's, it's tricky. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the... Like we've talked about this mm-hmm. previously with uh, a variety of diagnoses from the DSM. So just having a different gender identity than the sex that you were given at birth mm-hmm. doesn't necessitate of the existence of a mental disorder. What the key is, is the impairment or distress associated with that. If there's causing some sort of distress where they're experiencing a problem, then you can get them help to help them you know, reduce that or feel more alive. Yeah, thank you. That yeah. that was a very very well said. And and part of the distress here t- too is that the DSM is not counting it, it's not supposed to be counting distress things like um well, it could be related to prejudice, but that's not usually viewed as a mental disorder. That can be viewed as exacerbating mental health problems, but this is often focusing on the distress the person feels. And so I fairly recently read a memoir by Laura Jane Grace or other memoirs there by individuals who um, identify as transgender, 
And I recommend seeking those out if you want to understand. Laura Jane Grace, who's a singer of the punk rock band Against Me, says she talks about very much what her experience with gender dysphoria was, and people definitely have different experiences. But for me personally, I felt that it, that it helped me to understand at a better level what her experience and how that might be related. Um, so an important thing is that people who are transgender, some choose things like gender-affirming surgery or to undergo hormones to change their body to match more with their gender identity. Some don't. There's just a, a wide range on that. And also, states tend to vary whether counseling is required before someone participates in medical transition. And so the American Psychological Association's message to mental health professionals, including those who are meeting. Um, so basically, sometimes they'll say, you know, before I'll prescribe you hormones or uh, recommend this type of medical transition, you need to see a counselor. That varies widely. Um, sometimes it says that. Um, but, but the American Psychological Association really focuses on being affirming when you're discussing these things, uh, both with sexual orientation and gender identity, using accurate information to discuss with the person, and that can include things like having them discuss what their personal experience is, what their goals are, what areas are stressing for them, and how you can collaboratively work together to change that, and, and those types of things. But it also sometimes gets at some, so there are some kind of external discriminatory factors, but also some of them are internal types of things like finding people who are affirming and supportive, finding ways to challenge internalized transphobia or homophobia and things like that. And so therapists really, it's recommended, have specialized training in how to appropriately provide services because I don't think it's just like a common sense thing. This is a specific type of affirming services and you want to make sure to do that just like you would want to provide culturally sensitive services for people from different cultures and and the variety and so this is a way to best serve our clients is to understand that and there are a lot of workshops and continuing education and books that are helpful resources some of which we'll link to and just specialists too people yes. who really uh, make their either resource or research or clinical work really have a focus on that, which is really good too because of the complexity of uh, these issues. So yeah, there are individuals who you know really hone in on that, and that's that's their focus. So there, there's that too, where sometimes maybe you need someone who specializes in the exact problem that you're experiencing mm -hmm. for all different disorders. This is no exception. That that's right, and there are networks, including within this area, where therapists can sign on to be publicly identified as being affirming therapists for LGBTQ plus clients. And that's really important because when you meet with clients, I've certainly met with clients, some of them have had negative experiences um, with family members, with other mental health or medical professionals where they've experienced more discrimination seeking help and it has a negative impact on them. So one thing that is helpful is that if you can publicly identify that you're affirming, it helps clients to feel more comfortable knowing that they can come to you for the types of services that they need and that are um, ethical according to APA guidelines. Yeah, well said. Uh, so one thing that we've talked about before on this podcast that is certainly relevant to this topic is discrimination effects. So just on the aggregate, how does being discriminated against impact uh, 
mental health or mental health outcomes in a variety of way, not oh, even outside of mental health. So we know there's research showing that uh, discrimination can lead to things including uh, isolation, homelessness, uh, suicide attempts, substance abuse, drug use, depression, anxiety, and uh, in other mental disorders uh, as well. And this is, you know, the experience of uh, harassment, uh, being a victim of violence, uh, familial rejection, um, bullying. So this is also true with the LGBTQ plus community, where this sort of... Uh, these negative outcomes are certainly prevalent as a result of the way that these individuals are treated or discriminated against on uh, an interpersonal and a systemat systematic, is that a word? Systemic? Systemic, thank you, level. Yeah, yes, exactly. So it's, um, you know, the important point going back to Evelyn Hooker study, most people who identify as being in LGBTQ plus group, there are many mentally healthy people, mm -hmm. many people with excellent uh, coping skills and with good physical health and who have good support networks, but there is a higher rate, we're talking about rates, compared to non-sexual minority or gender identity minority peers in terms of violence, uh, bullying, and things like that. And so that is thought to be a major factor that increase the risk for things like suicide attempts among people, among youth, for example, that identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And so this is something that's important for therapists to know because sometimes for if a therapist is, for example, within a group that is a majority group, so who identifies as heterosexual and cisgender, right, for example, which means identifying your um, gender identity matches what you're assigned, uh, your biological sex assigned at birth, then you might not notice that um, some of the prejudice that or types of policies that affect LGBTQ plus people. You might if you have friends and family that are directly affected, but you also might be less aware of that because you don't encounter it. And so just being aware that it exists can help you to affirm and validate those concerns. Because if you have a client who comes in and said, I think that you know part of the reason I got fired is because I was gay, or I got kicked out of my house, and you just jumped, you know, that couldn't happen. People don't do that anymore. That, Which, if I can jump in, yeah. that we've talked about cognitive behavior therapy mm -hmm. a lot. So, oh, well, let's challenge that negative thought. That's yes. probably not the reality. Mm -hmm. For these individuals, that very well could have been the reality. That's right. And there are a lot of states where there's not legal protection against those types of things. And so if you don't believe that that mm -hmm. discrimination existed, it's going to be hard to trust you and to provide those services, and you're also not doing your due diligence and understanding the context that the person's presenting in. And that's why, you know, if those factors are contributing to mental health concerns or mental health problems, like I, as a good therapist, you should conceptualize those factors and, and listen to the person. And so that's where keeping yourself aware of those things can be helpful in terms of, you know, understanding and saying, you know, I... I believe that you're experiencing these things and what can we do together to make this more um, to help you cope with these types of things. Yeah, absolutely. So should we move on? I think we're kind of getting towards the end here and talk about what are things that we can do as individuals to try to help combat discrimination and as a byproduct of that hopefully reduce some of these negative uh, health and mental health and 
just negative outcomes in general, I guess. It's a wide variety of uh, domains in which those negative outcomes can, can occur. Definitely. I Something that I've learned from some of my friends who are experts in this area is that it's important to identify what some of the problems are, but it's also important to identify what some of the actions you can take are because that can feel you you can benefit from working towards something. First of all, it benefits the groups that you're working to help, but it can also be helpful for individuals to engage so they don't feel like there's nothing they can do to reduce some of these concerns. And so there are a variety of different levels um, that you can do this. One of the things that you can do as an individual is to support publicly or participate in or support organizations or groups that have affirming policies, support legislators or policies. If you see a policy, for example, that comes up that's affirming and aimed to reduce discrimination, you could contact your representative and let them know that you support it. A recent example of this is the Pride Act, which is been proposed by a member of Congress, and it is specifically, let me make sure, the bill stands for provide a requirement to improve data collection efforts. And the goal here is to identify violent deaths, either um, by suicide or deaths perpetrated by other individuals for LGBT individuals. It's to better their a lot of the statistics, that's a starting place to understand how big is this problem and what can we do to fix it. And so that's what this individual is introducing, Sean Patrick Maloney, and um, he's in New York. And if he, you support that, then one thing you could do is contact your representatives to know that you support understanding more about that. Other things that come up is if there's a bill being proposed that would ban reparative therapy for youth, you could support that publicly show support for it yeah or i know there was another thing i just saw this morning it was shared on the social work helper uh twitter Mm -hmm. page which is another great resource someone who we've talked to Mm -hmm. before and had wonderful interactions with uh that twitter page shared an article showing that um states where same-sex marriage is legalized or uh actually have uh, pretty direct um, outcomes on reducing suicide rates in youth. So that's another way where getting involved and showing support for public policy that, um, you know, is more inclusive can really have very direct uh, outcomes on mental health and suicide. And it was actually like a a pretty drastic uh, amount um, in which that the uh, suicide rate was reduced too. So that's just another example where it's it's just... just being involved in that way, showing support for policy, uh, being informed about the individuals for which you're voting and the stances uh, that they take on various issues, uh, it's important. And I know it's politics is something that sometimes is messy and it's complicated and people like to... I, I've seen people, and I've said it myself in the past before I got more involved and interested, was I, I'm just not interested in politics. I don't keep up with it. It doesn't really matter. Uh, it, the reality is, is it does matter uh, in, a, in a very major way. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And the same-sex marriage policy paper that we'll link to, it was in JAMA, um, found this was before that was the national policy for same-sex marriage. But they found that there was a 7% relative reduction in proportion of high school students attempting suicide that was directly connected to what 
when that state had same-sex marriage law implementation. And their belief is that having that policy tends to change attitudes. And if you look at data over time through Pew Research or something like that, you do see changes in people who support same-sex marriage. Um, recently, it was, was it the, it was recently Loving Day, which was the anniversary of um, the Supreme Court allowing interracial marriage federally. And um, that's another example where you see the attitudes change quite a bit. I thought it was 50 years, but I didn't, yeah, 50 years mm -hmm. in Loving versus Virginia. So it is something that you can see. Sometimes the um, attitudes actually follow some of the policy changes. Yeah. So, so that's one area um, in your own circles, and we're going to link to another article through the APA Public Interest blog that has good stuff on this. Um, you can correct misinformation, support people who need it, and listen to LGBTQ plus people's voices and how they want you to help mm -hmm. um, and, and what would be helpful to them following their lead. And those types of things can make a difference if you are not going to tolerate misinformation or someone expressing bigotry, you, you never know who's around you that might be witnessing that, and it might mean something to them to hear that you're standing up against that. And so that can be very helpful. Yeah, and and sometimes that can be a little scary, too, when mm -hmm. someone's speaking out. It, it can be nerve-wracking. Your heart mm -hmm. might race a little bit to stand uh, to speak up and say, you know, what you're saying just isn't accurate. It's... Uh, you know, you really shouldn't or ought not to say things like that. It can be scary, but it, it also, it's important to remember that it really can make a difference. Um, so I would just encourage, I, I know it's, it isn't always easy, but it is important. No, it's, it's certainly not easy, but I do think some of, you know, the systemic stuff matters, and then sometimes those personal things can matter for making for people feeling more comfortable within a social setting. For example, yeah. if you're a party and someone's telling quote-unquote jokes that right. are um, putting down people or LGBTQ+, and you say, you know, I'm not comfortable with that joke, or you ask, you know, if you want to leave and move to another area or change the subject, however you do it, that can, that can mean something to people. Because remember, we're talking about individuals who are at elevated risk for harassment and bullying. And who may not feel like they can speak up, mm -hmm. you know, just given, you know, if, yeah, it's hard to imagine maybe being, having that joke said about you. It could be about you. It, it, I'm, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable I'd be speaking up, so if someone else did, that might be, I would feel better. Mm -hmm. I can empathize with that. Oh, definitely. And then, of course, uh, for mental health professionals, uh, that's another uh, area where, of course, we've talked a little bit about APA as one example of taking the lead and trying to reduce some of the stigma, uh, encouraging, as professionals, encouraging acceptance, uh, affirmation to f uh, families' requests and extended groups, uh, making sure that individuals are making connections if, if they can. Uh, and getting that support where they can, and then I don't. You mentioned this earlier, and I don't. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe it might be something worth defining. Mm -hmm. uh, internalized homophobia or transphobia. I don't. Is that a term that you think people? I just in case. Folks sure, might. it's it's worth defining. So I mean, phobia is kind of linked to fear, but yeah, homophobia yeah. I've heard more broadly used for people who have anti-same-sex attraction yeah. stances, and um, often can be reflected. You know, because through uh, sometimes through societal norms or mm -hmm. practices, many of us might have biases, even if we 
really want to support LGBTQ mm -hmm. plus individuals. We might have biases we don't even recognize that could affect therapy. And so one of them, for example, might be, this isn't, I'm branching a little bit out from homophobia, but uh, for example, as a therapist, if you're asking the client, uh, it's a male cl cl uh, client who presents as a man, and you ask, did you ever have any problems with your girlfriend? You're assuming that they're heterosexual, and if that person is gay, they might feel less comfortable bringing that out. So just understanding those types of biases as well as other types of biases like beliefs, negative stereotypical beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so therapists can certainly internalize them. They're mm -hmm. not magical people who don't have their own biases. Best we can do is try to recognize them so that we try so that they don't come as into play to practice. But also individuals, if they are in an environment where they believe that having same-sex attraction makes them bad, then they can have internalized homophobia. And so that might be something that you work with. Uh, transphobia is kind of a, a parallel with gender identity. So people who have stereotypes or ideas that are negative about transgender individuals. Um, the, again, the phobia, sometimes it is more strictly linked to like explicit fear of these groups, but other times it can be linked to things like hatred, negative feelings, anger, and those types of things. And so the idea is to help challenge those, but then also at a societal level, it's not just challenge your own internal, it's supposedly, in theory, it would be easier to challenge those things if the external messages also challenge those things. And that's why each piece of the puzzle is important. And also just to highlight again the idea of the there is evidence that having greater familial acceptance improves mental health. And so as a mental health professional, you might be able to help people who don't understand things to understand better how to be affirming and supportive of their child and how to help them out. And, um, you know, this is a very real problem. There are higher rates of homelessness among LGBTQ plus youth from people who have kicked them out of their houses. And so being able to work with the family, uh, you know, to love and affirm their child, that's very helpful. And, and it's a big contrast sometimes from what people believed for a long time or those types of things. But there are many people given the opportunity and with the right mental health professional that really want to help their children in the best way possible. And our goal is to do our best to do that, even though we can't fully control that, obviously. Well said, Katie. Thanks. Well, I think that we're getting very close to the end now. I think we'll probably wrap it up there. Mm -hmm. um, I want to just say one more time, like we sort of did at the beginning, uh, this was uh, an episode that we tried to be prepared for because we had a lot of information. Uh, well, I guess you said this, Katie. I'm repeating what you said. I'm sorry. I took, That's okay. I took credit for your words. <laughs> On-air right. plagiarism. There's direct evidence. That's quite all right. Um, that we were a little bit nervous about. We restarted this episode like four or five times because we wanted to get it right, and eventually we accepted we just need to get the information out there. But with that being said, we are open to feedback. We are open to additional information. So if there's something we missed, uh, please let us know. We, we want to cover it uh, the best that we can. And with that, we also realized that this was really just a snap shot. Uh, check out the resources that we've linked for additional information. Uh, we hope that this has just given you maybe a primer would be the best way to describe it um, in honor of the individuals who were lost a year ago. That's right. And if you want us to go more deeply into any of these topics, we'd be happy to. Yeah. We could, you know, we mentioned a couple different angles um, that we linked to, but if you would find it beneficial to talk more about it and or if there are particular fictional representations that would be helpful for us to talk about let us know because this is important we're happy to talk more about it but hopefully this is at least an introduction and an overview
Yeah, I remember uh, you tweeted out asking for people's favorite LGBTQ comic book characters, and I saw a few of them. Sometimes our Twitter, we get so much interaction, I, I don't keep up with all of them. So I saw Harley Quinn and mm-hmm. uh, Poison Ivy, and I saw Batwoman. Were there some other ones that stood out in your mind? Yeah, one of um, Wonder Woman. And, oh, of course. And then uh, Willow and Tara from Buffy, which, you know, a lot of Another people one. adore them. Yeah including me because they're such fantastic characters and the relationship is is so real for a lot of people um, despite the fact that they're witches <laughs> but, but um, there are some realistic elements um, what else did people have there were some that were outside the comic realm like Ricky from my so-called life uh, oh. Kurt from Glee Blaine oh, yeah. from Glee Omar from the wire Kima from the wire so really People sent a lot of good stuff, and I'm, that's just a snapshot. Oh, there yeah. are many more, which I it was really cool just to see how many people uh, participated in that. So that was great. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for that. We love mm-hmm. all the interaction on Twitter and just the interaction we get to have with people in general who enjoy the podcast mm-hmm. or the blog or come and see us uh, when we give talks at CoreCon or other cons. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, so maybe uh, we'll close up with just a thank you for that and also just a quick snapshot of some of the resources for folks mm-hmm. who might uh, be interested. You know, we've, we've, we're going to have a lot of links already, but these are just some more resources for folks who might need to be hooked up with health, uh, with some more help. So these are things that you can check out online, including things like, and there are, a lot, there are more. This is, like I said, just a mm-hmm. snapshot of some of the stuff that's available. Uh, the Trevor Project. Uh, in the trans lifeline, uh, I don't know. I don't have the number offhand. I, Those I'm are uh, both numbers that for specifically for suicide prevention, mm-hmm. but you can call for other issues too. I'm talking to Stall a little bit while I pull it up. The Trevor Project is specifically for LGBTQ youth, and it is one eight six six. Four eight eight seven three eight six. And again, I apologize to international listeners. These are uh, based in the United States, but you know we'd be happy to share any international stuff and retweet it if you have it. Um, the Trans Lifeline is eight seven seven five six five eight eight six zero in the United States, and in Canada it's eight seven seven three three zero six three six six. We'll link to both of those in the text. Absolutely. So those are just a couple of the great resources that are available for folks who might need uh, might need some of that specific help. Mm-hmm. Um, and like always, I don't know if it, everything we're saying here is just information uh, for education and entertainment. If you need specific help or mental health uh, or medical advice, uh, we are happy to maybe help you find a referral or a resource, but that's that's not our goal for this. We're, we just want to get some of this information out there. Exactly. So thank you very much for listening. All right. Uh, we, you'll hear us next week.